Hey, just a quick note before we start today's episode about the proposed New Mexico Voting Rights Act. As with a lot of legislation, things change during the session, and this bill has changed a few more times since we recorded the interviews for this episode. We'll be right back at the end of this episode to get you the latest rundown as to where this Voting Rights Act stands. Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. I know we usually start every episode by just jumping into the topic and giving you a few lines about what is ahead, but I wanted to start with something different today, and that being a question for you, Gabby. Oof. Do you think there is anything out there anymore that has not changed? Because of the pandemic at this point. Oh, you're asking me on the spot. Okay, yeah. As far as where we live in New Mexico, it really does feel like every portion of our lives has been shifted to some extent Yeah, in the past few years. Exactly. There have been so many changes. Even here on the podcast, we've talked about schools, the criminal justice system, the state legislature, live music, balloon fiesta, and all of that has been really reshaped over the last few years in part in response to things like COVID-19. So another one we really cannot forget is elections. And it's not just the candidates we're talking about, but really what I mean is the actual process of voting. The 2020 election that was punctuated by a lot of pandemic related battles over voting, including some in New Mexico. You may remember one surrounding how people can vote when the Supreme Court intervened as the secretary of state sought to send absentee and mail-in ballots to all registered voters during the June 2020 primary. Questions surrounding how you can vote, how people get registered to vote and who can vote. Those have all reemerged for New Mexico lawmakers here in 2022 ahead of the midterm election. State lawmakers in Santa Fe, who are just days away from the end of the regular session, have been grappling with a massive new bill dubbed the New Mexico Voting Rights Act that could carry with it some monumental shifts related to voting and elections. So wrapped up in the bill, as initially proposed, are a host of possible changes, and those include allowing voters to get an absentee mail-in ballot for every election without having to request one each time, restoring felons' right to vote on being released from prison, automatically registering qualified voters after they finished a transaction at the MVD. Also some new rules for online voter registration, making election day a holiday among other changes. Yeah, KRQE News 13 investigative data reporter Curtis Sagara once again joins us today to talk about it. Curtis, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So before we get a little bit deeper into the bill, let's just talk about who is behind it. This of course is a 30 day session. So it's a shorter session and the budget Budget has been the focal point of a shorter session. There's limited time, as we know, but this bill really made a quick rise in the lawmaking discussions and has some backing from some key players. So, Curtis, who are the key players behind this? It is a short session and non-budgetary items need to be requested by the governor for the legislators to consider them. Now, this piece of legislation about voting rights was requested by the governor, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. And it's really intended to kind of push back against what she calls restrictive and discriminatory ballot access policies in some other states. Um, The Secretary of State, Maggie Talese Oliver, also backed it saying that it would be one of the most powerful voting right bills in our state's history. Now, both the Senate and House majority leaders have supported this bill as well. So there's a lot of people standing behind it. Yeah, some of the heavy hitters in New Mexico lawmaking 
sound like they're in support of this. But what about the people opposing it? Are there people out there opposing the bill? Broadly speaking, what we've seen so far is that Senate Republicans have opposed the bill. Uh, you know, earlier, as this bill was being discussed in the legislature, during the Senate Rules Committee meeting, every Democrat voted for the bill and every Republican on the committee voted against it. Following that vote, Senate Republican leader Greg Baca issued a statement, and his key focus was that you know, this might make elections less secure. Got it. So it is a massive bill with a lot of implications. Which component of this bill as it stands, stands out to you the most so far? You know, I think a lot of discussion has centered around uh, automatic voter registration. That's a big part of this. And it's something we've seen happen in other states. Um, we've seen pushes towards that in the past here in New Mexico, but big piece of discussion. You mentioned this has happened in other states. What has happened in other states? Colorado is a neighboring state that's done something like this. This automatic voter registration, we're talking about through the MVD, right? Like, so I go and renew my license and all of a sudden I'm getting registered to vote automatically, right? Is that how to think about this? Exactly. Colorado implemented their version of automatic voter registration back in 2020 is when it went live. It uses motor vehicle department records as a way to find and register people that were unregistered but qualified to vote in elections. So in the first year, they've reported about a quarter of a million voters being registered through that automatic system. So the big question there is lots of people are getting registered, but do they all vote? And to some extent, it looks like it's just too early to tell. You know, already more than a dozen states across the U.S. have moved towards this kind of automatic voter registration or, or something similar. And research shows that they have boosted voter rolls, the number of people registered, uh, but research on turnout just isn't conclusive yet. A 538 uh, analysis, that's a news site out there that does a lot of political work, found that in some states, people that are automatically registered are less engaged than people who register themselves, but that does seem to vary state by state. It could also impact voting for those convicted of felonies here in New Mexico. So how does that differ from what is allowed today? Under current law, felons must complete their sentence before they can vote. And that includes completing any parole or probation they're supposed to do after they're actually released from incarceration. This bill as proposed would remove that component so that felons could register as soon as they leave the correctional facility. Okay, so what about permanent absentee voter lists? What does that do and how is that different from what exists already? As Chris mentioned when he started this out, you know, we have seen a lot of folks do absentee ballots, voting uh, by mail, for example. So that's nothing new. People can currently request an absentee ballot for an election and then cast their vote via mail if they can't show up in person at a polling location. But this bill would allow people to register once through the state rather than having to do it for every election as an absentee voter. So Senate Bill 8 would let people voluntarily register. It's, it's not automatic, this Aspect, but they'd voluntarily register to become a permanent absentee voter. Then once on the list, they would be mailed ballots for every statewide election for which they're eligible to vote. So I, I've seen this question pop up too among the public. Well, what if you move? Is, is there room for error here with this automated system? Maybe not catching that or will it just automatically keep sending you ballots forever? Yeah. Or is there a way you get maybe booted off of the 
automatic absentee list. The bill as proposed does have some of those safeguards in it. Obviously, if you're not at the right location or if you register with an out-of-state address, uh, you won't be considered as a qualified elector. And if you don't participate in two consecutive elections, you're booted from that list automatically. In other words, if you don't consistently mail in your ballot as an absentee ballot, you'll be taken off the list. Also, if your mail is marked as undeliverable, if the post office tries to bring the ballots to your house, but for whatever reason they aren't delivered, maybe you're not there or something goes wrong with that mail process, you're taken off the list as well. And once you're off the list, the county clerk will actually try to contact you, according to the bill, to try to see what's going on and let you know that you are off that list and offer you some other options to vote. So there's also efforts in there around tribal voting and trying to make it easier to get ballots into the hands of Pueblo and reservation residents. How does that work? What's behind that? Yeah, this bill, as uh, the governor has mentioned and other people have talked about, does have several things to try to strengthen Native American voting rights. Uh, For example, it sets clear timelines and instructions that let Indian nations, tribes, and Pueblos request early voting locations and and know how, when, and where they can set up voting convenience centers. It also gives Native American communities more control over when and where their polling locations can operate. So it just kind of clarifies and cements some of those timelines and abilities that Native Americans have when it comes to voting. Well, there's a lot in there to try to make it easier for people to vote. I know there's a component as well to, to allow for online voter registration, but there's There seems to be like an electronic component to help get candidates onto ballots a little bit easier. Can you explain to me, this is referred to sometimes as an internet application thing. Can you explain what what is behind this? Yeah, so for a candidate to run an election, generally they need to go around and collect signatures from residents here in the state. Um, That used to happen on paper a lot, and increasingly it happens more and more in a digital form. So this kind of clarifies that the state would create kind of a secure online app to collect those signatures for candidates to run and get support from uh, the people of New Mexico. Now, there has been a lot of discussion already centered around that, and especially in terms of will this make the election process or the nomination process less secure? And, you know, the way the bill is written, it does say that it's supposed to be a secure process, but I think debate around that will continue. And to make it clear, this isn't a way of voting through an internet app. This is a way of getting signatures for candidates. Two very different things. Right, exactly. You, The bill has nothing in it talking about voting via an app or, or email or anything like that. This is really just talking about uh, increasing ways for candidates to better connect with people while they're running uh, for election. So also talking about, you know, making it more accessible, I guess, to vote. There is a provision in this bill that would make Election Day a state and school holiday. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, already the state has a list of what they call legal public holidays. That includes things like New Year's, Christmas, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. You know, there's a there's a whole list of them. So this bill would add primary, general and local election days to that list of legal public holidays. 
So what that means is in even numbered years, there would be two more state holidays and in odd numbered years, there'd be one more state holiday. Okay. So Chris, we wouldn't get this day off. I'm looking at it. <laughs> would we get the day off? No. no. Uh, <laughs> working for a private company, they make the call uh, on which darn. holidays we yeah. get off actually. <laughs> We'd probably be working at those polls on this day. Um, <laughs> but okay. oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say some folks that would get that day off guaranteed in the bill would be uh, school students and teachers. Every general and regular local election would be a school holiday as this bill proposed. So they would have that day off to go out and vote. I think there are some questions around, uh, you know, will that increase childcare needs as parents need to uh, have their kids out of school for that one day? But again, we're only talking about one or two days a year here. Yeah. And part of this bill also has to do or initially had to do with what age you can participate in elections. An original draft suggested that 16 and 17 year olds could vote in local elections, but it sounds like that's been dropped, right? Yeah. Originally, the bill proposed that 16 and 17 year olds could vote in some elections. Local elections, it sounded like, right? Local elections, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But public comment on that was, was fairly mixed with a lot of folks chiming in and saying that they thought, uh, 16, 17 year olds didn't quite have the capacity to make those kinds of decisions. Folks pointed out that they can't buy alcohol when you're 16 and 17. Uh, you can't purchase a firearm on your own. So why should you be able to vote is that kind of comment. And ultimately, uh, senators was while they were considering this remove that component in their amendments. So what we talked about are a lot of proposals. And as we just mentioned, the age factor, that one got eliminated. So it is worth noting that all of these ideas in here possibly could be eliminated at some point, depending on how the bill ends up shaking out through the end of the legislative session. Exactly. And remember, again, this is a short session. So really this sort of uh, legislation is being pushed through fairly rapidly compared to one of the regular 60 day sessions. So it's possible that uh, things will be cut kind of hastily, but a lot of these topics will probably return in politics in the coming months, years, even decades. This is a potentially monumental one. So thanks for keeping a close eye on it. We appreciate it. Always happy to be here. Thanks. We filled you in on the details surrounding the main provisions on this bill, but what's the bigger picture? What are the potential effects or, say, the broader implications of a bill like this? KRQE's own political analyst and UNM political science professor Gabe Sanchez is here once again to give his perspective. Gabe, welcome back. Good to see you both. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you, Gabe. And, and we mentioned earlier in our conversation with Curtis that so far this bill, in some of its initial committee votes, has seen some definite signs of of partisanship. A lot of Democrats have shown support for the New Mexico Voting Rights Act, while Senate Republicans, at least in this one committee, voted against it. Senator Craig Brandt of Rio Rancho and Sandoval County, he said in essence that he believed it would make elections, quote, less secure. But aside from that, sometimes there's discussion around these kinds of bills where people say, oh, this party doesn't support this bill because it would hurt their party. So as it stands, does this bill benefit one party over the other? You know, that, I think that's the multi-million dollar question. And, and obviously this isn't the first time the legislature has considered uh, changes to our election system. Uh, some of these pieces to this puzzle have actually been uh, obviously debated in the legislature, at least in recent memory. And it's, it's almost impossible to project you know, will this benefit Democrats more so than Republicans? Uh, but 
keep in mind, right, there's always the, the battle of perception. And I think a few things here um, suggest that this might be uh, more positive for Democratic chances moving forward in elections, which probably is driving Republican resistance to this. And just a few of those pieces of the puzzle. Uh, first and foremost, you know, New Mexico isn't the only state considering changes to their election laws. And when you consider this within the larger national context, it's important to, to remind everybody who's checking out this podcast, states across the country are moving in radically different directions depending on which party is in leadership. You've got, I think, latest count is 19 states across the country, including some border states to us, like Texas, who are pushing legislation to tighten access to voting systems. In theory, making it a little more challenging for voters to be able to vote, but Republicans' argument is making things potentially safer from having any election fraud, et cetera. So you've got Republican states clearly moving in one direction. Democratic states like ours are trying to essentially open up access to voting. Their argument being that we're going to make it easier, decrease costs, not just money costs, but time costs for voters to be able to access the ballot box. And obviously, the elephant in the room is that the federal government has failed in trying to reform some of our election systems at the federal level, which is creating, I think, states' necessity to move on some of these items at the state level. So you've got that big picture context. I know I said a lot there in terms of how this fits into the national picture. But here more locally, whenever you've got Democratic leadership either pushing legislation or endorsing it like the governor has and has, has made this pretty public that she's supportive of this. And uh, our, our overall secretary of state, Maggie Tolhus Oliver, also supporting this. Both of those individuals up for re-election and both of them being Democrats. I think the perception is this has to favor Democrats, right? So I know that's a big mouthful. Hopefully uh, that informs some of this conversation for viewers um, and, and definitely happy to follow up on any of that. It really seems like since Trump lost re-election and so doubt in the legitimacy of the results, there's been a lot of national discourse about election security and voting accessibility. Governor Lujan Grisham here has said that this latest New Mexico Voting Rights Act would push back against, quote, restrictive and discriminatory ballot access policies in other states. So what do you say to the question, why now? Why is this bill all of a sudden getting pushed forward? Is it sort of more speaking to that national political climate, or is it something else in New Mexico? Well, again, just pointing out that a lot of these pieces that are in this legislation, you know, are not new in terms of of being discussed in the legislature. Folks have drafted bills with almost the same pieces of this puzzle, just not all packaged together in the way that it is now. At least that's my my take on on where we're at. Um, Keep in mind, restrictive uh, voting measures have been, you know, a, a big part of the Republican state parties agenda for some time. You know, remind folks when Governor Martinez was in office, photo ID legislation uh, with really within the backdrop of making an argument that our voting system was too open. That was eight years of, of discussion in the legislature in terms of restrictive voting policy. So I would not say it's fair to say that all of this is just happening now. Um, it's been part of the discussion. I think now it's become more salient because of the backdrop of the 2020 election, right? You've had a uh, election where you've seen across the country and here in New Mexico, the number of voters voting absentee and by mail, right, escalating to unseen records in the state of New Mexico. And you also obviously had, for the first time in my memory, right, a a presidential candidate argue that the whole entire voting system was rigged against them. So you've got a whole lot of backdrop, which I think places a sense of urgency 
uh, for, for the state to essentially do something. Uh, feel like they've got to be responsive to voters who are worried about the integrity of our election system and are also worried about, you know, what they're seeing in the national news of a lot of states making voting more restrictive. Um, so I think all of that, right, creates this atmosphere in which we, we feel like there's a need to do something um, at the state level uh, on voting. And again, largely the elephant in the room is because the federal government has not been able to make that happen. You've watched a lot of elections in New Mexico over the years. Perhaps this is leaning a little bit more towards an opinionated question. So I, I'm not sure how much you'd like to delve into this question, but do you think there's any changes needed here in New Mexico to make for, I guess, a better election system? One of the things that we learned uh, during the, the COVID era was that if you open up access points, right, to voters in New Mexico, or I'll say that even more broadly, to eligible voters in New Mexico, in essence, make it less costly for them, turnout increases, right? And I think the backdrop of that was, you know, many of us experts were extremely worried uh, that we were gonna see significant drops in voter engagement because of COVID and, and fears about getting sick and all the other things that were on the minds of New Mexicans. But we actually saw, right, a huge turnout. And I think a big piece of that was making voting easier for the population. So I'm always been of the opinion. I mean, you folks can go back to when we were talking about this issue, probably back as early as 2008 to 2012. Uh, my main argument has always been, and again, you know me, I don't like to get into my own opinions on this. We'll try to validate this with as much research and data as possible. We know going back as long as folks like myself have studied elections, Anytime you make the process easier and you decrease the cost, not only does turnout overall go up, but turnout, particularly among low resource voters, low income folks, racial and ethnic minorities, younger voters, etc., populations that we all know don't vote at the same levels as folks with higher resources. Anytime you make it less costly, guess what happens? Turnout among those segments of society increases. So anything, in my opinion, that opens up access points to eligible voters, including felons, which is a piece of this legislation, I'm always gonna be on the mind of increasing democratic opportunities for those segments of society so that their voice is included in the process. So the pieces to this legislation that I'm in favor of, right, do just that, decrease costs, make voting more accessible. Now the partisan dynamic, obviously we have to talk through. I'm consistent on this, right? Like you could argue theoretically that making voting open to those particular subgroups of the election tend to trend democratic in terms of their vote preferences, but it's up to the parties to mobilize and offer policy agendas that connect with that new uh, energized uh, you know, segment of the election. It's up to the parties to, to put a platform out there and candidates that will attract wider votes from those new segments of the population that we all should be happy are actually now potentially going to turn out at greater rates. Some of the bill's provisions include things like automating parts of the voting process, like, for instance, when it comes to voter registration and permanent absentee ballots, with the idea to make things, like you said, easier for voters. Um, I also heard Maggie Toulouse-Oliver in one of the meetings say, I've had people ask me, I would like to just register once for the absentee ballot and then just have it be automated every year and not have to register once again for that absentee ballot. So she was sort of making the argument, look, I know voters have asked me this in the past. It would make it easier for them. But then on the flip side, you have questions like, well, could this open the door for more fraud in our elections? And, you know, having the system more automated 
Does that leave more room for error in the process? What do you make of that? Yeah, again, that's been the debate nationally and in the state every time these, these particular uh, recommendations to revisions to our voting system come up. The easiest way to frame it is, right, folks, primarily Democrats, but not exclusively, will argue, can we essentially modernize our voting systems in the state of New Mexico to be more similar to most other states that have moved in this direction, you know, generations ago? And the flip side is always, well, what will this do to increasing the prospects of fraud? So the first thing to always lead with nationally and here in New Mexico, despite a lot of, lot of research, both within the state and externally, have never really found rampant fraud, right? Even, even nationally, I always point this out. Remember, even former President Trump's own team that he put in place to investigate fraud, where he argued it was rampant, even going back to 2016, guess what happened? Even his own team didn't find strong examples of fraud taking place. So it's always, for me, important to recognize whenever we're talking about fraud, we actually don't have evidence of that occurring at a very high rate. So we have to switch gears and talk about the perception of fraud, right? Even if we're talking about photo ID, the argument has always been not just about preventing fraud, but hopefully preventing the perception among the public that fraud actually occurs. So I think that's really, to be honest, where the battle lines are. Not so much about fraud. Let's be honest. There's not a lot of examples of fraud happening. They're few and far between. It's much more about do voters feel that fraud already is happening in New Mexico and will automating some of these things, particularly I think absentee ballot is one that I think opens up the door for folks to think there might be increased fraud that could happen not even necessarily that it is, right? That's, I think, really a more accurate way to discuss this. It's more about perception than reality. And I guess it's also important to say that all of the provisions included in the bill from this automatic registration uh, in the MVD after making a transaction, and then also the element of this permanent absentee list, all of them are just proposals at this point. But is there an element of the bill that you're looking at that you say, wow, that could mean a big thing or a big deal? Well, some of the the potential quote unquote game changers, like moving voting eligibility down to 16 years of age, a lot of those things have already not made it through the process and and still are are not in the bill leading up to here. So I think some of the more uh, contentious or or potentially divisive elements have already kind of fallen by the wayside through the process in the legislature, which is supposed to happen, right? So I know it's frustrating for folks to see, wait a minute, This bill looks substantially different than what I read in the newspaper even two days ago. The pieces that I think, to me, should not be very divisive, but potentially could be uh, whenever you talk about felony disenfranchisement, right? And so here we're just talking about a little nuance um, that folks that basically might still be on probation, I believe is a language, um, in, in the bill as it stands currently, would be eligible to vote as they go through that process rather than getting all the way through probation, parole, all those other elements before access to the ballot opens up for them. That I think could be a little bit um, divisive, um, if you will. Uh, But, you know, thinking about automating, you know, people to be able to get access to absentee ballots and not have to ask for that every single election cycle. Keep in mind, up until recently, Republicans were much more likely to vote absentee. So in my head, I always think like this shouldn't be a very partisan Discussion, both sides actually, in theory, should be able to win from it. Uh, But remember, we live in probably the most hypersensitive partisan environment of our lifetimes. So everything 
comes with some partisanship, unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it in this era that 10, 15 years ago, I don't think would be as controversial. Is there any part of this bill that, Gabe, you're surprised isn't being addressed by lawmakers? Well, I think that the movement to 16 years of age, to me, had been something I thought would be really interesting to see get a little further in the process, maybe go to a full vote. Um, And I think part of the reason for that is all of us that are a little more gray in the hair than we used to be always harp on the fact that youth turnout isn't very high. Right. And so every election cycle, we talk about the youth vote. and, And I hear a lot of pundits make arguments that the youth let us down every election cycle. So being able to open up voting to folks at 16 years of age gives them one more election cycle under their belt before they hit 18. Um, I thought that would have been something that I would have loved to see New Mexico maybe be at the forefront on, um, largely because of that backdrop where we we typically talk about youth vote not turning out to the same extent as older folks. So I was a little bummed about that. Um, The other pieces to this, again, have been talked about in detail, right? Voting as an election day, for example, I I remember talking about that back in, I think, 2010. Um, So some of these things seem like they're controversial, but have been vetted by the legislature and other cycles. Should the conversation about voting rights be a partisan conversation? Absolutely should not. I mean, when you think about all issues, right, that could generate partisan debate, opening up access for democracy does not sound like something that should be uh, such a such a heated partisan discussion and to see votes uh, broken out extensively by party or what we're seeing nationally, right, of states moving in radically different directions depending on their partisan makeup. All of that should not happen. Uh, but I think anytime you talk about potentially changing the makeup of who's eligible to vote and turnout potentially being impacted by voting rules, um, obviously, both parties view those things much differently, and it's, it's sometimes impossible for them to remove their self-interest um, and, and be able to make votes based on just what is in the best interest of the state rather than what might be in the best interest of my party. I think the, the big picture question, you know, is going to be what I always look at this in terms of any policy decision. What problems are we trying to solve with legislation? Right. And obviously both sides of this issue have different definitions of what the problem might be. I think Democrats see an environment and where they need to protect. They perceive uh, the right to vote and, and making it less costly because of the elephant in the room, what's happening at the national level and states around us. I think Republicans look at it and see the problem being maybe perception of fraud. And, and so I think that to me is part of the the challenge here is when both sides of the issue see a different problem they're potentially trying to solve with legislation, uh, you're going to get the outcomes that you see. I think the the big picture question is we're running out of time on the clock in this legislative cycle to get anything done. Um, Will this actually come to floor votes? Um, Will there actually be something for, for the governor to be able to take a look at in this legislative cycle? Or is this going to be punted right to the next longer session And if that does happen, at least the upside is we've had a lot of stuff on the table to be vetted. Uh, The legislature would not start at ground point zero. Right. Hopefully they would be able to move much closer uh, to actually taking votes on issues because this has been so, so well vetted and moved its way through committees already pretty far at this site. So 
So we mentioned at the top of this episode how this bill continues to change. As of Monday afternoon, a full Senate vote still hadn't been taken on this bill. The legislative session, it ends again on Thursday, and the bill still needs to go through the House and its various committees to pass. A couple items that have been removed so far include the provision that would automatically register eligible voters after they complete a transaction at the MVD. Again, that's been removed. And as we mentioned earlier, a provision allowing for 16-year-olds to vote in school and city elections has also been removed. Still in this bill are provisions to create a permanent absentee voter list that would let voters continuously receive absentee ballots, make election day a school holiday, restore voting rights to felons when they're let out of jail, allowing voters to register online with a social security, state ID, or driver's license number, and force each county to have at least two monitored and secure containers for ballots to be dropped in. Now, there seemingly is increased partisanship, though, around this bill. In a statement on the New Mexico Voting Rights Act, aka Senate Bill 8, Senate Republicans called the bill, quote, the governor's radical election bill, saying it would, quote, allow for more ballot harvesting boxes. They also took issue with felon voting rights and a provision of the bill that would allow for third-party organizations to register voters. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back next Tuesday for another episode. Until then, if you can, please rate our show on whatever podcast player you listen to. Leave us a review that helps people find our show. You can also download our latest episodes on krqe.com slash podcasts. Send us your ideas too. I'm Gabrielle.Burkhart at krqe.com and gburknm on Twitter. And I'm Chris.McKee at krqe.com. That's via email. And on Twitter, I'm Chris. McKee TV. Thanks for listening.